Musicpreneur.com. Great moments are born from great opportunity. Lies can prevail against much in this world, but never against art. If you're good at something, never do it for free. This is what I was put on the earth to do, and I'm not going to sit around and wait for some politician to give the green light. You musicians, you're too, too musical. You just don't know what's going to happen if you have an attitude of, I'm going to just work with the conditions that I'm given. You're not doing it for the money. You're doing it for what the money says. And it says what it says to any player that makes big money, that they're worth it. There's so much competition. Why should I start it? Man, if you take that mentality, you might as well just say, well, there's 8 billion people in the world. Why should he have your own child? You dance around too much. You talk too much. You're not concentrated enough. Lots of work to be done. People not being reliant on an employer, they're going to say, if it is to be, it's up to me. To assist in your journey of making money making music, the musicpreneur.com podcast starts now. Here's your host, James Newcomb. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is James Newcomb, and I'm really excited about this because I have been able to be just as consistent as I would like with this podcast. And so if you listen to this show for the last couple of months, you may remember a conversation that I had with Jason Heath, who's the host of the Contrabass Conversations podcast. And in that conversation, I mentioned a fellow by the name of Jim Lambie. And Jim and I had just had dinner the night before. We had met once before because he heard of me and this podcast through Jason. And Jim lives right in Virginia Beach, which is where I currently reside. And uh, we had like just met for sushi and got to know each other a little bit. I can't remember exactly what happened, but I thought Jim would be really good in podcasting, or I just wanted to get together with Jim and see if he'd want to um, learn the trade a little bit in exchange for helping out with some of the stuff that goes along with the podcast. Well, I <laughs> I just mentioned to Jason, totally off the cuff, and I don't usually do this, put people on the spot that I've met once on a podcast, but I just, for whatever reason, I mentioned Jim and uh, said that he's interested in getting into podcasting. And uh, lo and behold, Jim was listening to Jason's podcast. He put the same conversation on his show. He heard his name uh, mentioned on the show and called me right up because he had been thinking about it, whatever we had talked about. And he called up and said, all right, James, I'm in. If you're going to, if you're going to mention me by name, then you really, you must really mean business. I, I don't know exactly what he thought, but to put all that uh, to, to make a long story short, Jim is going to be helping out with this podcast, and I'm really excited about that because, uh, one, I, I get to teach someone a little bit of what I know uh, with with this business and with the trade and the craft of podcasting. And two, you're going to hear more of these episodes because I have a little bit of assistance to help things out and uh, lighten the load because there is a lot that goes into producing a podcast. All that to say that this is a good thing, and I'm excited about this because we're going to be hearing more uh, uh, from this show. So, now that I have uh, run myself out of breath, let's bring Jim onto the show. He is the former, he and I have this in common, we're both former military musicians. He got out of the military, what was it, 12 years ago? 12, about eight years ago. 
All right. So uh, eight years ago, it's it's so our careers sort of overlapped a little bit. Never met each other, but uh, so we have that in common. But now Jim teaches in his retired quote retired years as a civilian. He teaches still at the Navy School of Music there at Little Creek here in Virginia Beach. So, um, Jim, welcome, man. Thank you. Thank you, James. And we also have it in common that I worked with your brother. That's right. Right. At My brother school. Dave. Yeah, brother Dave. I mean, talk about a small world. I mean, I saw your last name and it occurred to me. Did you it didn't even register with yeah, you. didn't until you mentioned it. Even even though you said, this guy looks like Dave, even though he's more <laughs> handsome. He's far more handsome, but he does bear a resemblance to Dave. It didn't occur to you to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, Dave was it was great to work with him. Very methodical guy, really really thoughtful, fine player. And then when you mentioned him, I thought, "Oh, that now it's starting to put it together." Yeah. Which is what, you know, what led me to you in the first place. My interest in music business in general. I'm a bass player, but I'm also very interested and curious about the business aspects. And when Jason had advertised that he was on your podcast, it was in an email I received. I was absolutely curious, and I don't hesitate to listen. I'm always listening to Jason Heath anyway, because he always has people on that, that lead me to other things, and it expands my network. And when he had you on there, and he's talking about musicpreneur, musicpreneur, I was like, that's an awesome idea. And I listened to it. And I was fascinated by it. And then I got, that got me curious about you. That's usually what happens with podcasts, right? Is that what happens with you? Where you listen and you hear them talk about somebody and you go check them out. And they talk about books. They talk about other podcasts. I'm going to check it out. So I found you and it turns out you had a lot of podcasts. <laughs> it was interesting. Very Yeah, I've been around. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. I thought, oh, he's on a journey here. So, And then I found out, I was going to reach out to you. Had it all emails sent out to you, ready to send, and for some reason I just decided not to. And then I found out you were in Virginia Beach. I think it came up on my f- Facebook feed or something. Why didn't you send the email? Well, can I just total transparency? I was like, I, I don't know. I thought I hesitated. I just hesitated. It's like, and if I could be absolutely transparent, part of me reaching out to you is me getting out of my isolation. Like I'm always looking for opportunities to meet people that are in my interest. And finally, just override my, well, you know, I am busy or I've got other things going on. And then I thought, no, let's just take a chance, make, see if I can make a new friend and see what, you know, for uh, what, I don't know. I'm a product of the company I keep. So I try yeah. to keep expanding my network, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, the first time I didn't reach out to you is out of hesitation. And then Facebook, well, I was, that was easy. And I just Facebook messaged you. And then next thing you know, we... I, you know, we decided to get together for lunch and had a great conversation. It was got to meet your son and met your wife on the yeah. FaceTime, and then you had Jason Heath himself on the the man, the yeah. myth, the legend. <laughs> I, was, I was really blown away by that. <laughs> that was a lot of fun, and so yeah, I told a lot of friends about that. I thought that was really cool. But you know, I I, I find that with this with the business of music and practicing and uh, working on my craft, I can easily get into the place of isolation. You know, spending a lot of time by myself, working on my stuff. Especially as a bass player. Yeah, well, it seems, yeah. <laughs> it seems you guys are a little more 
isolationist than others? I, I don't know what that means, really, <laughs> but I, I, I would say that we're we have a tendency to be supportive of people, I guess, because that's our job. It's very yeah, yeah, it is. Somebody Definitely. recently, I, I'm stealing it from somebody said that we're it's a very social instrument. It's not as as good by itself. It's always meant to support others. And well, it's such a contrast from trumpet, which is it's my background and. It's interesting how the personalities of trumpet players and instruments like yourself, like the bass, is so different. Very, very different personalities because uh, the role within the ensemble is is different. Mm -hmm. It's very, very – especially – I think trumpet players are now a little bit – it's a little more egalitarian than it was probably when I was growing up. And definitely more so than the 50s and 60s when trumpet was everything. It's now a a little more balanced. But still, yeah. I mean, it, the, these days, most of the successful musicians I've run across are versatile, so they're not as specialized. For instance, um, there was a time being a lead trumpet player in a big band was a a viable employment, and now that same person, which is a very specialized skill, um, has had to learn to diversify and be able to play in other environments. Mm-hmm. Same thing with classical players. I knew. Now I've come to realize there's a lot of classical play- bass players that I've looked up to over the years who are actually very versatile, who can mm-hmm. play jazz or music theater or whatever other styles besides just um, orchestral. Yeah, you know. but trumpet and bass are two instruments that you can make a living playing just trumpet mm-hmm. and just bass. You may not. Uh, it's you can't necessarily always unless you're employed by a symphony orchestra and of course here in 2020 that you know that's even that's out the window uh but you can still make a living playing only trumpet slash flugelhorn slash cornet slash piccolo trumpet slash this and that but but and same with the bass you can you can play that exclusively with other instruments you gotta you can't play just the bassoon well when you mention all the other offshoot instruments of trumpet yeah the bass when we say bass, I'm thinking the most versatile are the ones who play both electric and upright. Okay. Yeah. Now, that doesn't necessarily always have to be the case. I know lots of electric bass players who are doing really well and upright players, but to be in that niche that plays both definitely opens up. That's what's really helped me in my career. Uh, opened up a lot of opportunities because I played both. But ultimately, it's playing bass. So that versatility, ugh. But they're both... I don't know if this is with the flugelhorn versus cornet versus the other instruments that you were mentioning, but the the electric bass and the upright bass can be a bit of a bear to keep up both. Really? What's technical. okay? Because I can see how the technique would be very different. Yeah. Um, so electric bass has an ease about it that um, because the instrument notes are so much closer together, mm-hmm. and and you have frets. Um, the physical aspect is, yeah, you have frets or fretless, it's fine. But the thing is that it's closer to the body. Okay. Um, the hands are, are not extended. The back, the body posture is a bit, a lot different. Um, that's some obvious things, I think. But also um, the nature of the instrument, everything seems to be closer together. Whereas the upright bass, it's, it's pretty, you know, relatively more out in front of you. To play the full range of the bass, you're having to change your your entire body posture, and there's a lot more um, the the spread of the notes, the length of the scale, and and obviously being fretless. And to play in the upper range, you have to play with your thumb. 
to get over the body, and then you have all the coordination of the bow or or the pits and pizzicato is the finger style playing. I there's a lot to it, <clears throat> but um, having played started kind of playing both, uh, I think that helped me out a lot. But I, I, I tended to gravitate more to electric. So, but anyway, it's it is it's been interesting, and um, 2020 has brought up some interesting opportunities to be able to. Um, go online and see a lot of these musicians who were necessarily weren't available before who've got found themselves with more time in their hands and they're doing a lot more webinars and you know berkeley was doing a weekly who's who of bass and then the isb the international society basis had a wonderful online experience that jason heath helped put together and all of a sudden, uh, this year had found me uh, with more access to things that I didn't have before. So that's a little different path of the conversation. But what, what I mentioned is that um, I'm always curious about getting better. So, um, and that's where I was getting to the isolation is like I could find myself practicing or constantly at the, uh, in my studio and I got to I got to get out and be with people yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> that's one, you know, that's one thing that I've learned with this show over just the many people that I've talked to over the years is the social skills are a completely different skill set from your instrument. And it's just as important. I mean, it's, it's not almost as important. It's as important, if not more so than, than being a great, because if you're if if you're a, a great bassist and you don't have a personality, you know you're gonna have skinny kids. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I, I've especially this year having like I said having access to listen to these great musicians, successful musicians um, that are part of the, um, the you know the world class, um, more nationally known, internationally known. It's interesting that that conversation comes up the most. How's the hang is what they put it. Exactly. Right? A community. Right. The totally. Community. That's the secret sauce of, of uh, any, be it musical or not, any entrepreneurship, especially especially the online thing, is a community. Well, I find that, and I'm discovering this more now, and this is something I thought about us talking about tonight, was the idea that, okay, the theme being, I'm a product of the company I keep. The, the people I've, I've, I've been around um, had the privilege of calling friend or mentor. And the opportunities my interest have been, uh, have attracted me to from my interest and the people that have kind of come into my life for pursuing that interest. And in expanding my network of friendships and support has helped keep me in a, in a steady stream of progression opportunities um i don't know even you could even call it emotional development you know because yeah, there's totally. so much to it fills my well so to speak to be able to share from my experiences and then i'm listening to them share from their wealth and well of experiences if you want to go with that metaphor and um and then we just find ourselves stronger together and the ones that i see that are kind of um, lone wolves and stick to themselves there's a lot of a lot of limits to that, you know, and uh, I think they they miss out on some of the the deeper aspects of uh, playing with other musicians. Um, I especially have learned uh, not to take for granted this year 
the playing with others, you know, getting, mm. I mean, I'm, there are gigs I've been on before and maybe you can relate to this where I'm like, what time is it? Oh man, I'm still in the first set, you know, like, <laughs> and now I'm like, oh yeah, I, 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 um, there are things that I didn't appreciate at those times in my life, you know, the togetherness of doing something with somebody, even if it's not necessarily music that we are excited about, but we're playing together and, um, and getting paid to do it and people are listening mm-hmm. and um i don't know i i think after we come out of all this people are going to be a lot more appreciative i would hope i think you're absolutely right people are going to be far more conscientious of their environment i mean not just the physical environment the the world around us but their environment the people around them you know, yeah. once people are gigging again, whenever that happens, we hope that it's sooner than later. But uh, man, once you once you get something taken away, you realize how much it meant to you. Yeah. And if you took it for granted, then you know you're never going to take it for granted again. So, not that there's anything good about uh, what's going on in the world. I mean, but but you just I just I just hope that there's I I, I believe that there will be good that comes comes out of it. So sure. It's definitely a shakeup. Yes. I would think, I had this thought when we were thinking about getting together. I, I thought about the ebbs and flows of my life. I think right. what's absolutely dependable is that every human being is going to deal with crisis at some point in their life. And it's not going to be that one time. It's going to be a number of crises. And what's happened with COVID is that we are collectively feeling this crisis, experiencing this crisis. But I I don't know. You and I have our life stories that where we've been gut-punched by life a few times, like a lot of people, you know, they've got the karate chop to the throat or these different things. And and I look back and the times that I've had support, when I've I've actually invested in friendships and I've gone through something, then I did go through it alone. And that led to ways of... uh, I don't know, uh, getting through it, you know, um, and then there are times where I was a little bit more isolated and I hit a crisis and I was just alone. I didn't have the support. And, um, I think a lot of the success I I think I mentioned earlier was a a byproduct of the company. I keep the people that I've, um, spent time with that have invested in me. And, and I think in this crisis, they're, they're, the shakeup is that people have, might have realized that there's so many people don't even know their neighbor. You know, don't know. They haven't taken yes, the time. Exactly. I, I can walk down the street. I, I can't tell you how many people are on the streets now, even now, than they ever used to be. And what do we do? We wave. We never used to wave. Like, just like, I don't know you. You don't know me. And now everyone's waving. Like, you're a human being. We're all in this together. <laughs> you know? Well, I think the uh, it, it could be that the social media... We just took that away because it used to be you'd wave at people, sure. and then Facebook comes along, and I mean I I'm not I'm no fan of Facebook. That's how you and I met. Yeah, and that's that's the only reason that I have a Facebook account is so that I can stay in contact and and meet people via Messenger. I really I really don't use it for that much else. You can be in your little apartment and you can have your own little online world with your so-called friends on Facebook, and then you get out in on the street and you just shun everyone else because they're not in your world and it's problematic yeah it is i've noticed that um i i actually took facebook app off my phone because especially as things got heated with the election i really (laughs) i rather not know 
the opinions of a lot of my friends, some of them, they're different one-on-one than I see on Facebook. I'd rather not see that side of them. And um, I just, I have typically stayed out of any opinion sharing. I just don't find that to be a healthy forum for a healthy exchange of ideas in terms of politics, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I thought we should talk the rest of this podcast about politics and religion. I hope you don't mind. I'm just kidding. No, of course. <laughs> totally My two favorite topics. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. But my, back to my thing with the Facebook, it was like I, I noticed and observed as friends started trying to get clever about um, the loss of work, that they started what you call busking, you know, uh, working for for tips yeah. on Facebook, right? Doing live video sure, sure. Uh, feeds, frantically trying to get this together. Some guys I could see, some of the musicians were just doing it because they just wanted an outlet. And then... There was a lot of them that, that had the PayPal, Venmo, and all the different cash apps on there. But I noticed that some of them I was following, they were starting to implode just watching their um, their their discussions. Like they're putting out what they're feeling, what they're struggling mm. with. And I realized that a number of them didn't have um, like a close network of friends of support. Like their friends were like acquaintances that were liking them on Facebook versus somebody they could call and say, be real with. Mm. And such a difference. Right. And so we can get very confused about our Instagram feeds and Facebook feeds. When you realize there, how many people could you actually call at an inconvenient time of the night? (laughs) Exactly. Right. You don't call your Facebook friends on messenger. No, and and it takes time to cultivate that kind of a trusting friendship. And so I think that's where I was going with the shakeup of COVID. You know, people are realizing the depth of their friendships. Like I go to, I used to play in venues and people would tell me how much they enjoyed listening to me play or different things. And that's nice. And, but I couldn't call them. (laughs) Yes. You know, they were, you know, they were being very supportive and cool on the gig, but um, anyway, you get the idea. Now that I've been more or less off of social media, I mean, I still have a Facebook account. But uh, what I remember about Facebook, when when I was heavily, heavily involved in it, I found myself kind of virtue signaling. I don't know about virtue signaling, but trying to be clever, like thinking, look how smart I am, because I can word this in just the right way, and look at this use of words that I have. And it was total ego trip on my part. And at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of insulting someone. And if I was sitting as close as you are to me, like we're here in my apartment, and of course we're socially distanced, so we're six feet away, obviously. <laughs> and, but if we, if we were that close looking at each other in the eye, there's no way I would ever speak to someone like that, right. ever. But I just felt a total liberty to say these things to someone that I've never met and will never meet because we're talking about whatever, Donald Trump or something. It's fascinating, though, what you say, though, because, I don't know, that that, that goes to a topic of ego or people struggling with, um, I don't know, connection is different. Like, interacting on a forum, there's a certain aspect where we know we're supposed to be entertaining or we're just asking questions or whatever. And I think that's acceptable. I think that's just kind of a, a thing with forums and... But if you'd got to know somebody, well, then it's different. But even still, the closest friends I have, I, 
we tend to mess with each other, you know, <laughs> you know, they find like ways to kind of poke, but I think it's more that understanding. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm going in the right direction with this, but it's, it's interesting. I think there's a balance to it. I think being clever online, I'm not good with that stuff. I, as soon as someone's, I have a good friend, he's an amazing musician that maybe that we'll end up talking to him at one point. Uh, his name is Ken Ebo. Cool. And um, Marine trombone player, incredible arranger. Uh, we don't do. We can't have Marines. I know. On show. Oh no, not Marines. No, oh crap! Marines. I thought you were going to say trombone players. <laughs> <laughs> if it was just a Marine and not a trombone player, no problem. We got a double problem there, but... right? <laughs> <laughs> and if it was a trombone player and not a Marine, well, I have to make a confession. I don't know if I share this with you, but um... wait, you were in the Marines? No, 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 no. Oh. It's 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 worse than that. Brace yourself. Um, I was a trombone player at one time. <laughs> oh, no, please, no offense to trombone players. I have an immense respect for trombone players, and that uh, that instrument just did, did not work out for me. And I was, as a good friend of mine said years ago when I was transitioning, says you are a bass player stuck in a trombone player's body. And then that's when I made a decision to give it up. You know how you can tell the kids of a trombone player at a playground. Oh, boy. You look for the ones that don't know how to use the slide and can't swing. Oh, 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 stop. <laughs> well, anyway, going back to my friend Ken, yeah, our friendship, you know, we were talking about, um, he's a wordsmith. That okay, guy. all right. His pun, he, oh, his level of understanding puns and the way he can whip them out is so impressive. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't find them exactly entertaining, but... I'm amazed at how fast he can whip him out. And it's just never ending once you get him started. And to the point where he had a pull, like, well, you know how you have those help wanted uh, flyers that people have like a pull tab for numbers, phone numbers. He had a, a pun thing like that. You really? Grab puns that he'd just write a bunch of them. And wow. It was crazy. I've heard that, that puns are the highest intellectual level of humor. Yeah. Humor. Yeah. They're not necessarily the funniest. No. You have to be totally quick on your feet. And you have to have a masterful uh, understanding of the English language and all the idioms that go along. My wife, Sana, she would do terrible with puns. Yeah. Uh, Teaching her English idioms. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, there's probably some good uh, English, depth of English learning in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I met, when I did a tour, I did a trip to Brazil. Mm I was doing a base festival thing there um teaching thing and um this guy ended up being like our guide to help us around and he talked so convincingly like he'd been in america for a long time and the secret was he'd never been he listened to jeff foxworthy comedy he was constantly telling us jeff foxworthy he had his 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 uh, dialect down, you know, the accent. The, yeah. He had the timing of his jokes. And I'm thinking, okay, my friend, the first ones were funny, <laughs> but I've already known the material. <laughs> and um, then I realized as I started talking to him more unguarded, like not worried about if I was coming across, he didn't understand some of the things I was saying. I was like, oh, so there's something to learn in the, our language or a language learning the humor, I think, you know. But puns, golly, you have to dig so deep. It's, it wears my brain the, out. The, learning the language is like the humor. I th- it, I've, in my experience, non, non-native English speakers, teaching them the humor. Yeah. If you, if you can get the jokes, then you get the language. Right. Uh, it's true. I, we had a, um, 
now I'm getting all these memories back, flood back, so forgive me. But I, I was stationed in Japan, and we had this awesome um, interpreter who was assigned to us, and uh, he was Japanese, and he was always trying to practice his English by telling us jokes. Okay. And so his first thing we had to tell him, and he constantly did it, he'd start laughing before he'd start telling a joke. And he's laughing all the way through it. And he finally gives us the punchline. And I'm like, okay, T, that, that's not funny because <laughs> he's like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> it's funny. I know it's funny. <laughs> I said, yeah, but here's the reason why it's not. <laughs> it was so awesome because he really wanted to get it down. And he was onto something. Well, I mean, what was the joke he was saying? Oh. I don't know. Just it, some... So, you know, somebody walked in the bar kind of stories, you know, those kinds. Of so he's laughing all along. Oh, yeah. T- <laughs> and, and, and then and then and he gives the punchline and we're like, oh, he said, what? No, no. And then we're laughing because he's so not funny. You know? <laughs> but he ended up getting him down. And when he would make us laugh, we're like, oh, you got it. Yeah, there you and go. Then, um, and I thought it was cool because he was on a, a very um, advanced level of really learning the language. And. On the flip side of it, when um, – well, I don't think it's a problem for me to share this. You know um, how we have our military hierarchy, our, sure. our, the one in charge, right? Yeah, totally. And sometimes they get <clears> – they <throat> have less and less uh, people speaking into their lives of what might not be always the best thing to say. You following me? I think totally. anybody who's been in the military band program knows what I'm talking about. They don't have a close circle of influence. Right. That might tell them, yeah, you might want to They don't have that. someone to call it inconvenient hours of the night, do they? I, I would guess, yeah, right. <laughs> just, and they would, and this interpreter would just know when my, our, our American leader would try to do a joke with interpretation to a, a Japanese audience. He says, he's telling a joke right now. Please laugh. <laughs> I had the exact same thing happen to me when I was in Korea because I did this back in the way back in the day. I had this set of uh, I would just go uh, to churches and play I, I, like trumpet stuff, yeah. and I would have this whole concert. And I had this little shtick that went along with it, and it's all in English. So they they called me up, but I was thinking, okay, I've got this little script that goes along with this thing that I do demonstrating the different trumpets, like the shofars and the different sizes of the trumpets and all this stuff. And it's it's funny. And then I would do the the demonstrations. I was like, how is this going to translate into the Korean? So we get, it's showtime. We get into it and the guy translating it, he's he's doing his thing. She would tell the joke and then he would say it. And they would laugh and laugh, and he would keep telling more jokes and more jokes, and they would just keep laughing. <laughs> you know where this is going. I'm like, wait a minute. There's more translation than there is joke. Right, right, right. <laughs> and it turns out he was doing exactly that. He was saying, this is a joke. You need to laugh now. Because that's culture. is They're all about saving face. You do right. not. You have to make the person look good at all costs. I learned so much from that experience in that. <laughs> Oh, golly, the world is so much bigger than I think. As small as it is in other aspects, there's so much to my perspective that can be um, can benefit from being in another culture for a while. You know, living totally. in Japan, everything was there was no quick answers to anything. When I would, I was the operational. I would go out and have the meetings with different people to set up. Um, I was a leader of a band, you know, and I talked to the sound crew about things I'd need. And there was a lot of debate about moving a mic over a foot. 
you know, could be just as an example. And they were, they don't want to tell me no, they had the reasons. And I just learned that pace. It's slower, you know, and that's the relationship you, you start to realize you have to adjust. Yeah. They're, they're just more deliberate. deliberate. Yeah. It's, I it's, think it was there. really cool um, to have to just slow down. And um, I'm so quick at making decisions and go, go, go. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I have to. And then I thought I was slowing down. I have to really slow down. But to the point with the humor, um, I took that. I hope who, you know, if this, the person that was in charge of me ever heard this, which I don't, I doubt he would ever listen. But um, the idea being, I thought it was just a beautiful thing in the end. You sure, know? sure. Um, just being a good human. You know, which comes back down to that whole thing about relationship building. And so that person that was my in- interpreter, we, we all became friends. Mm-hmm. And I, I would imagine that if I were to go to Japan again, which I would love to do sometime, um, shoot, I, 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 I believe we'd get together and catch up and, be, you know, be friendly. You know, it's just, but we spent time on the road, you know, we, you know, he didn't always see me at my best either. You know, something mm-hmm. about being on tour, sometimes... Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's a grind to it. You know, sometimes I think you really find out what people, what they're managing, their emotional, well, how to say it, their emotional EQ or EQ, emotional. And uh, you start to see that um, when you're on the road because you're close quarters and you're having to, um, you know, it's just, it's fun. And it's also a little bit of a, a grind to it, depending on how the, the um, how many, how many things you have put into that tour. Mm-hmm. But, um yeah, so I think um, that that would make or break uh, the success of the band. The band that could get along off stage tended to do really well on stage. Musicpreneur.com. I heard uh, Garrison Keillor, the great um, comedian or storyteller, he said, peeling potatoes and telling jokes are the quickest way to get to know somebody. And what he meant by peeling potatoes is like doing something totally grimy. Oh, yeah. Just grunge, dirty work. Doing that so- alongside someone, and, and you've been in the Army too, and you can, you can probably relate to probably basic training where you're buffing the floor at, what, at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're there with somebody else. And Yeah, when you said that, that's where my mind went. Where, what else do you have to do other than just chew the fat right. and, just, and just where are you from? I'll tell you what, I got like that with guard duty back over the day, you know, after uh, the embassy bombings when I was in Germany, 9-11, you spent a lot of time sitting around guarding things, <laughs> you know, yeah. talking and... Quote, air quotes, guarding. Yeah. <laughs> I was in the band. I, right. You know, yeah. if it didn't say Acme Bomb on it, I wasn't going to know. <laughs> I'm a bass player. <laughs> right? <laughs> I always told myself if... If it gets to the point where the band is the last line of defense, oh goodness, the battle's over. Right, I guess you know for the <laughs> most part, you know. I don't know. There's there's some pretty very some pretty solid guys in the band. For oh sure. yeah, I I mean yeah. I, there's a number of faces come to mind that and if would it came and if it came to it, you know they'd put up oh, yeah. a solid fight. For oh sure. yeah, there's a number of guys I I know that that would be really the. I, I think that's the. Um, the interesting thing about in the military band program is it attracts a very interesting breed of person who'd be willing to be a musician in in that environment mm-hmm. where you are willing to get yelled at for the eight six you know eight weeks and 
get into the, all the physical, I wouldn't call it abuse, but stresses and challenges. And you get to your unit and you have the hierarchy of rank and you got somebody who could be a doctor's degree who's a lower rank. He's like, like an E4 and taking orders from right. an E5 who just graduated high school two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but but was interesting though, after all is said and done, is this group of people had all these unique skills and that the whole really represented, I mean, we were some of the parts of all these wonderful abilities and I had to get used to, I, I finally allowed myself to get comfortable with my own weaknesses. Like, I'm not good at that, but that guy is. Sure. You're the man. Totally. Do that. And yeah. I will do this and I'll support you doing the thing I'm not good at. <laughs> you <laughs> know, it was good. It was a good experience for that. <clears throat> a lot of camaraderie with that. Tensions too, of course, but mm-hmm. but for the most part, like any job. Um, but, uh, you know, it comes back to what I was thinking about before. You know, COVID is this global experience and definitely in our country. But when you're in the military, you're dealing with all kinds of stresses. And that's when people come together, when things are hard, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Some of my hardest experiences in units, for whatever the reason was, that's when the unit was the tightest, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Hardship brings about uh, that, that community. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about Atlanta uh, because uh, were you ever stationed there? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, I was stationed in at Atlanta, Fort McPherson. That's where I was stationed too. 2000. Right. 2002 to 2005. I was there in 2010 through 11. But what really struck me was that uh, I went from Fort Knox, which was everybody lives close to the base, except for me because I'm an outlier in everything I do. I lived in Louisville. I can see that. <laughs> I haven't know, gotten to know you well, but I've gotten to understand you, you do things a little different. I like that. And then I got to Atlanta, and everybody lived um, an hour away in every single direction. And it was, it was different in, in that uh, you, you showed up there in the morning, and then you get home, and everybody just goes home, and they live 30, 40, 60 minutes away. It was just a different vibe there mm-hmm. it was just it, w- it wasn't as close right. as my previous uh assignment that was a unique assignment for that reason uh if i wanted if a friend invited me over so if i was 45 minutes south of the base and they were 45 minutes west of the base then it's going on that drive. loop that was a long drive right yeah depending on traffic and so we didn't tend to, like, I remember getting this house in the southern part of Atlanta, mm-hmm. and we got this in-ground pool, and, it, and I just imagined my friends coming over, and we'd but, get our instruments out around the pool. and yeah, have they these live little, two hours away, and yep, they're not going to come over. Never once happened. Right. Now, I was at a different time in my life. I might have been more, at this point in my life, I might have been more um, proactive with trying to make that happen. But in those days, where we socialized was on the road, and we were on the road a lot in that business. That's true. Yes, absolutely. Okay, because you had that, and I didn't have that because we, they were closing the base when I was oh, there. Oh, that's unfortunate. So we didn't. I think we went on maybe we didn't go on any big tours, but we had maybe an overnight here and overnight there. But it wasn't. We did a lot of. And when we say touring, we're not talking about months out. We were we were out a week at a time, sure. a long weekend, maybe yeah, a, you know a couple a weeks. Yeah, it was a tour, and, <laughs> and but we did it frequently. Yeah. And so it was a lot of being on the, um, coming back, regrouping, get the group set, 
get a new show together, whatever it was. It could be a concert band tour, could be the big band tour. Um, and so we we would we just pick up where we left off on the tour. So we started getting our rhythm with um, how we'd hang out, where we'd go to restaurants afterwards and things like that. And, um, yeah, that's, that's just the camaraderie. There's the hierarchy of people don't know where to sit on the bus. Everyone kind of gets a rhythm with all that stuff. And <clears throat> it's kind of cool. I'm, you know, I, I, I enjoyed that aspect. We just got real comfortable with each other doing this thing we got to love to do, but there was a lot of aspects we didn't love to do that we just kind of sucked it up together, you know, the loading in, unloading, all the unsexy parts of the job, you know. And but those, those unsexy parts, parts are what make it memorable, it memorable yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, getting good at being the Tetris game of loading up the, yes. the equipment truck. <laughs> I got really good at that. We had other people that were really good at that, but I just, I love that challenge of getting everything back in the truck and... Um, we had a number of people who were good at that, but, um, but there was all the heavy lifting, you know? <clears throat> and so fortunately in that band, there was most, everybody did the heavy lifting. Nobody, there was a, you know, was it like this? And you, when you were there was like a kind of top heavy band, a lot of higher ranking. Ah, oh, man, that was just 10 years ago. I don't remember. No. Yeah. For us, it was a lot of, you know, it was a lot of first name basis because there was just a lot of the same rank. There wasn't a lot of young we we yeah. ended up having a, a lot a number of young people come into our unit like fresh out of the school music. Sure, sure, sure. And I had a sergeant major at the time was lo- recognizing something I'd never seen happen before, where he said, "You know, that E four you're looking at that you're wanting to hand a broom to and say get to work. He's a very or she is a very intelligent, very educated musician. We should put them to work in ways that are going to benefit us much better than this." That taught me something. <laughs> oh, man, I wish we had leadership like that in the yeah. bands I was in, man. He, he, he was a great leader. And uh, I noticed that, um, and I was a byproduct of my promotions, um, I, I think it was because of a guy like that. He, and he just spoke the right things in, into me and gave me opportunities to do things that, in a band like that with so many, the E7 rank, senior enlisted, and I was uh, E6, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't have gotten had it been not for him saying, "Hey, go go, show us how we could do this." And um, I made a couple of mistakes, and that was okay. Like that's not normal, you know. Right. I didn't find that to be the case. So, um, but in this case, I did, and that really, I, th- I really thrived in that. And I learned to try to model that with other people, you know, in my other situations. But. Um, I don't know. He didn't have anything to prove. Like his ego was in check, so to speak. I, that's what I noticed about him. What's his name? Joe Camarda. And he lives in the area. Musicpreneur.com. Jim, um, now that you're officially on board, I would never guess that you have never done this before. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I mean, you're just totally natural, smooth as silk, just cool as the other side of the pillow, man. So. This it feels good. I feel like it's interesting. I was thinking about as this talking. If you and I were talking like this in the room alone, I think the dynamic would be good. Sure. But it's, there's a sense of being kind of like in a party, like there we know other people are listening, mm-hmm. or the other people may chime in later with some comments or yeah. something like that. So there's a kind of a neat feel to this. I I didn't expect. I'm anticipating this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, well, let me ask you this: now that you I mean, we've we've got our first interview 
I don't know if you call this an interview, but sure, just get the ball rolling. First, first thing under the belt, interview or not, um, and you've had some time to digest and think about things. What do you envision with this moving forward? Well, I, I know you were talking that you know for musicpreneur, right? Yeah, yeah. So musicpreneur is awesome in that I have so many people that I've I've started to become aware of this past year, especially that have this um, passion for something and they are actually seeing it through and getting it done. Great. And their clues to their success are something to be curious about. And it's very interesting to me. But the, what's also awesome is to find out that these people are doing really well. The thing I would like to do well at have other interests. So they're like, there's other things to them. Like they're into other hobbies too. Like they have a life. It's not just this. When I was just a musician, my life was starting to get pretty dry. And yes. so yes. when you get into the business end of it and start embracing the curiosities of how not so much just making money, but managing your, your music career with more of a business mindset, giving it more uh, respect and honor that, uh, uh, make taking yourself seriously, um, that leads to all kinds of universal business things, which is why I've less, read so many books over the years. Success uh, principles are, you know, these inarguable truths that musicians can use, artists can use. I have like my favorite books, and then I have my um, the people that um, musicians who've been influenced by those same books. And I thought, oh, wow, we have a lot of commonality. So I'm just thinking there's a really big, wide open ocean here of opportunities to to get curious and allow people just kind of get to know people better through this format. And um, in the process of my curiosity, like your curiosity has led to your discussions that I've just that resonated with me. And I find that with other um, podcasts, I listen to them because they're curious and they're discovering things. From Joe Rogan to say James Altucher and to some of the lesser known podcasts that I've, you know, like, like Jason Heath is is a bass guy. Most non bass player probably wouldn't know who he no, is. No, and um, but he has this curiosity. It's yes. really infectious, you know. Like he has a way of talking. It's just like, oh, I want to know. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's that. I want to. That's the thing I want to do. I want to learn. And so I, that's where I think this is going to go. There's just so many places. And, and just in our area, we've got so many great musicians in this area. People are doing some really cool things um, and then branching out that are um, I'm connected with through the Internet. Like you say, I haven't I've met somebody at a conference or something like that and struck up a friendship. And yeah, so that's that's that to your to answer your question. I think there's just a lot of places we go. I, I I find that the word curiosity is going to be the motivator for me. Cool, man. Yeah. Sweet. Well, this first thing with Jim Lambie is in the books, and I'm excited about this after this after this uh, short time we've been together. And, you know, how this is going to go in the in the future uh, remains to be seen. I mean, we're, we, we just got together tonight just to record and, and chew the fat for a little bit. And, but we're going to be talking about what this will look like, but um, I guess we can plan on Jim being a regular fixture on the show from now on. It's not like I'm going to step aside and stand on the sidelines and, and, and do anything like that, but uh, 
I'm excited about this. We're going to see what what happens. It sounds like Jim's going to be talking to people here in the U.S. I'm making plans to go to Vietnam in January to be with my bride until her visa to the U.S. is approved. So maybe we'll get updates from the U.S. and abroad for the show. Yeah. So. And uh, putting myself out there, it's kind of motivating me to get back on. Um, we were talking about the um, diversifying talents, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I, I've got some YouTube channel I've been trying to get going, and, the, and it's been slowly. Well, how do we find it? Just go to YouTube, look up Jim Lambie Bass. L-A-M-B-I-E. L-A-M-B-I-E. Jim Lambie And you'll Bass. find a couple of meager little videos. Just so I, I'm just putting myself out there because there's not – I I've, I just <laughs> – got to make the videos. Or I've got some videos I need to finish editing and stuff like that. But it's an interest, you know, share the music and uh, like it, don't like it, but um, be nice, please. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know. Well, another a topic we should discuss – is how to um, take people who give you negative feedback. Oh, that's a good one. Negative feedback and and how to not let it sink your ship, but rather than, but the polar opposite of that is how to stay afloat and uh, gain the upper hand. Not not like necessarily over them, but you and your your whatever venture, be it a business or what, whatever it may be. We should let's talk about that next time. That upper hand for your own self to keep keep going. Yeah, let's put some thought into that, and then maybe next Thursday we can record again. That's good. Jim, thanks for being on the show, and welcome aboard. Well, thank you, James. Thanks for having me, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. For more podcasts and resources on making money, making music, and to download the free musicpreneur.com mobile app, Head on over to musicpreneur.com today. Thanks for listening.